0: Hello, this week's episode of the Zen Founder podcast focuses on romance, specifically sensuality and sexuality. What do we do when our level of desire for intimacy differs from that of our partner? May not sound like an entrepreneurial business kind of problem or question, but we have found in our work with entrepreneurs over the years that the ups and downs of the business can indeed impact That individual's level of attention and focus toward the romantic relationship, which often translates into time, attention, overall openness and capacity for sensuality. So Valentine's Day is coming up and it seemed like a good time to bring in my friend and colleague, Brooke Bergman Parr. Brooke is kind of a relationship magician and she works with me at Zen Founder specifically on issues related to relationships. Sometimes that's relationships between co-founders and often it's relationships between romantic partners. So very happy to have her back on the show and talking about a subject that I think is really important to both of us and one that may not get a lot of airtime in the entrepreneurial business world. If you are intrigued by this conversation, um, it's probably worth noting that Brooke is beginning a Zen founder group for women entrepreneurs. So if that's you and you're interested in being in a community of people who also believe that it's possible to run a business, start a business, run a business, grow a business without losing your soul, without losing your connection to yourself and to your partner, then um, that group is for you. So reach out to us at zenfounder.com or any of the common social media channels. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the Zen Founder podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So Valentine's Day is coming up. Romance is in the air. I just got a a red dress to wear to a show that Rob and I are going to. So I'm very excited for a little romance heading my way, hopefully. I hope you're listening, Rob. But (laughs) I'm so glad to have you on the show today for a conversation, Brooke, around sexuality, sensuality, romance, and how that all fits into the life of the entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited too. I think that it's a topic that... I mean, it's talked about a lot, but not in, not in a way that I feel like is helpful. And I want to change the conversation that makes it approachable and easy instead of this dark, shameful thing that we can't talk about. Because I really see a huge difference in folks that can easily talk about their sexual needs and sexual desires, both for themselves and in their relationships. And it it translates to just feeling a lot better about yourself.
0: So folks who are listening to this podcast are entrepreneurs who are thinking about mental health and mental wellness. And so I think it'd be helpful to bridge maybe whatever gap lives in people's minds between a conversation about sexuality, sensuality, and a conversation about mental health. Like I see those as the same conversation, but that is not maybe obvious to everyone, so. Well, the way...
1: I see it as that we are whole beings. We are a mind and body, and sexuality is a part of our bodily experience in the world. We live in a culture where there's a lot of separation between mind and body. And the more that we can bridge that and become more integrated, the more whole we are. And so sexuality is a part of the bodily experience. I mean, we can't separate out our sexual desires and urges from even, you know, things like hunger and thirst and our desire for sleep. It is as natural to us as everything else about the body. And so the more that we can understand all of what our body does and feels just the better that we feel because we can name it, right? Dr. Siegel, I love he talks about naming it to taming it. And I think sexuality is is a huge part of that as well. I think too about all of the implications for relational
0: health, mm-hmm. that obviously our sexuality is something that lives in our bodies, but yeah. it also lives in our relationships. It has a huge part in, you know, intimate relationships. And of course we are also sexual selves. So our way of understanding ourselves, the way our way of thinking about who we are and how we've developed has you know, is intertwined with our, our sexuality as well. So,
1: yeah, there is, there is no separation in my mind. And I think that the more we can help folks integrate their sexuality into their identity and also just their regular day-to-day experience the more whole and at peace they're going to feel because I hear a lot of consternation and a lot of anxiety and a lot of shame around bodies and and also around sexuality. And the more that we can reduce shame, the better they do. And then you brought up the relationships, you know, the more we have an integrated self and a whole self around sexuality, the more we're able to communicate what we need and want in the context of relationship around this issue of sexuality in a way that doesn't push people away or even further cause further isolation. And that's really my goal is to help people actually connect around their sexuality instead of it being this disconnecting pain point. You know, I, I really hear a lot of people just feeling so disconnected with their partners around sexuality. And that's really quite sad because it can actually be such a powerful connector and a powerful way for you to express who you are and to share that with another person can be a huge intimacy building exercise. I hear you using this word powerful as it relates to sex or
0: sexuality. And I think it's such an appropriate word because I think our sexuality can be powerful as it again, relates to us and our sense of our power as individuals. It can be a powerful connector for intimacy as you've identified. And in some cases it can be a powerful point of pain. You know, certainly a lot of hurt comes from sexuality when it gets distorted, sexual abuse, sexual assault, but then a lot of hurt even in healthy emotional relationships or in healthy-ish emotional relationships can happen related to sexuality. So why is it so powerful, right? It's just like, just like food and hunger. Like what's the deal with this powerful
1: force? Well... The ancient religions worshipped sex, (laughs) you know, I mean, they and they equated sex to the gods. Right. And there is, I think, this archetypal energy living within us that still regards sexuality as tapping into some sort of otherworldly power. And also right in its purest, most basic form, it can, it has the power to literally create another human being or to, it is life force energy. And so something that I've noticed is that very expressive people tend to have higher sex drives just because they are connected to They're connected to something bigger than themselves. And so they're connected to senses and they're connected to the divine. They're connected to this really powerful force in the world that has both the power to create and destroy, right? I mean, it's one of those things that really bonds couples, but it can also really destroy a bond as well and destroy families and cultures but then there's this other interesting piece right if we think about socially and institutionally how various institutions have attempted to control and corral (laughs) this very powerful
0: force it kind of reminds me of the you know the term libido good old fashioned Freudian term. Oh, I love, I love the Freudian libido idea. And I, I love it because it isn't, it's kind of gotten translated in popular culture as, as sex drive. Yeah. But of course in Freud's framing of it, it really meant creative force. And so he would talk about anything that is regenerative or is life creating, is create It creative just broadly fell sort of into the scope or was intertwined with libido, which really, I think, speaks to your point of those expressive creative. And I think in some cases, we're talking about entrepreneurs here. This is the creative class. These are people who are generating businesses, ideas, things that are stepping into the world that haven't quite been there before and are reshaping, whether it's economics or you know some kind of artistic endeavor. And that is, in some folks, really tied in with their sexuality.
1: Yeah, I I actually love the for the typical the, the Freudian view of libido, and I think that we need to proclaim it and say it's not just about sexual desire, that that is an aspect of our sexual self, like the pure raw form, like oh I want to be stimulated sexually. That is one way of talking about libido, but I definitely agree I see libido as a broader sense of energy there's a writer that I love her name is Regina Thomas hauer and she talks about this idea of just being turned on or the light being on she works primarily with women and I I love that idea because there is this sense of like oh yeah the the lights are either on or off (laughs) I mean, it's not that black and white, but you can definitely tell when people's libido is gone. And it's like everything else about them is also kind of just dimmer, sort of wilting. Yeah, wilting. Like, and their light just isn't as bright as it could be. Yeah. So, one of the
0: professional projects that I'm involved with is with Mind Cure Health, which is a, a psychedelic company out of Canada. And we're looking at, different ways to treat low sexual desire. So hypoactive desire disorder. And in the context of that research project i have been talking with so many folks who are on the other end of this power of sex in the, in the painful realm, in the place where their experience of libido or of sex drive or of curiosity around sex or desire for sex is really not matching with their partner. And that causes a tremendous amount of pain, both of course in the relationship and then in the individual who feels like, what's what's wrong with me? It's sort of experiencing that sense of, of wiltedness or of the lights not being on to use your phrasing. So I wonder if you could speak a little bit to folks who are maybe in a relationship dynamic like that, where there is... A difference in where people are in their sexual expression or sexual desire for a variety of reasons, but it, it causes quite a lot of pain as I'm sure you've seen in your clinical practice.
1: Yeah, it is quite a pain point for both partners. Actually, I see both the part, I'm going to just use the phrasing higher desire partner and the lower desire partner for lack of better terminology. But you see this dynamic begin to take shape and it can begin to take shape even in the early stages of a relationship. And the pain points for the high desire partner are feelings of rejection, frustration, and and a sense of like, oh my gosh, my partner doesn't want to be with me in this really vulnerable, special way. And then for the low desire partner, I think there's this sense of how do I hold on to where I'm at, right? Like whatever my needs are, whatever my boundaries are. How do I not start feeling bad about my desires, right? Right. While also attempting to meet the other, you know, in that. And so then there becomes this almost like battle <laughs> that begins to take shape. It begins to like, they feel like they they can't give in, right? Like sort of a power struggle. Like you get what you yeah, want or I yeah. get what I want nobody gets what they want. Yeah. A power struggle begins to develop. And I think that, I mean, we could definitely talk about broader power struggles in relationships in general, but I think one way, and we're just going to talk about this stereotypically, right. In the stereotypical view, the woman can sometimes be the lower desire partner. Although that I have found that to not always be the case. And sometimes that stereotype can be hurtful to folks, but let's just go there in terms of power. Sometimes saying no can be a way to assert power, you know, and to just assert like, no, I, I don't want this or this, this, doesn't, this doesn't work for me right now. And it can be a way for people to gain power. Maybe if they don't feel they have power in other situations, you know, sometimes in the relationship, but sometimes in the broader broader culture, you know, that this can be a powerful way to say, yeah, no, I I get to decide when and how I want it. Yeah, I get to say yes or no. <laughs> I get to say yes or no. And if it means it's more often no, then so be it. I think what's challenging is that that can be very hurtful, you know, and stereotypically speaking, I think for a lot of men, you know, sexuality is a way that they emotionally connect with their partner. And so to have that be rejected for them, it's not quote just sex, you know, it's, I want to be close to you. I want to, I want you to know me. I want to be known. I want to be seen. I want to see. And that's, I think the conversation that I try to awaken with the clients that I have is how can we broaden the conversation? You know, that it's not just about sex very specifically, but it's about being seen and seeing and know, knowing and being known. And sometimes when people reach out sexually, they're saying, I want to know you.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, it gets quite complicated. The more we dive in, in the sense that you know, a lot of people's sexuality is really tied up in all kinds of historical complications where that's experience of trauma, past sexual experiences that were not pleasurable, even growing up in a maybe non-traumatic experience, but one in which there wasn't a lot of freedom of sexual expression or the sort of space and encouragement to tap in and develop your own understanding of your sexuality. I think also in the context of even a A relationship that's plugging along really well things like the entrance of children into a relationship or even starting a business can really disrupt and derail someone's level of energy, someone's level of confidence, someone's sense of their body, but all of the things that can complicate desire ebb and flow in both partners. And I I think what you're saying is, or one of the things I enjoy about what you're saying is is really coming to a place where folks are comfortable with the conversation in a way that's not shaming. It's not the you want it, I don't. It it, it just gets away from the whole conversation about power and underneath to the, can I be seen? Can I be accepted? Am I safe here to want or to not want? And are you safe to be a recipient of either my desire or lack or not desire in this particular moment in this particular season?
1: Yeah, it's so true. It really is a bigger question. One of the things that I encourage both folks is to really just own where you're at and to really be honest about what that is and to not have any shame around what that is. And I know that that is much more, that is easier said than done. (laughs) sure let's get like a little more concrete though let's think
0: about that high desire partner right that partner who's like feeling really alive they're popping they're moving and shaking like their sense of themselves as a sexual being is healthy and flourishing and they will love to bring that energy to their significant other and that beloved object of desire is just not feeling it. So what is that sort of high desire partner? What are they to do outside of like continuous sort of nagging their significant other to like, Hey, you ready tonight? You want to do it tonight? Try light some candles. You know, what's the, how do you, how do you hold that energy in a way that also respects
1: um, and honors where your partner is? Yeah. I like to teach the idea of desire without neediness, (laughs) which can be really tricky, but if you can navigate it, what it does is it actually creates space for both of you to fully be wherever you're at. So say you're the higher desire partner and you're just really feeling it. You're like, man, I am just, yeah. Right. I'm building businesses. I'm doing my life and I'm feeling so good. And man, I want to, I want to get, I want to get sexy with my partner and bring this fun energy to, to our relationship. And the other partner is like, "Mm, no, thanks. (laughs) And that's where that higher desire partner is charged with really growing a very healthy sense of self-validation. That your desire is beautiful and good and wonderful, even if it's not reciprocated. Because I think that it can be really easy to go down the rejection train because we're so vulnerable with our partner. They're the person that we care most about, and they're the person who can probably hurt us the most. And so it can be really easy to go down the train of, oh my gosh, they don't want me But to be able to stay in the energy of I love myself and I love my sexual energy and to still hold on to that, even if somebody is saying no, thank you. And to to figure out how to transmute that energy. It's sort of like, okay, so they're not they're not into it right now. Like, how do I give that to myself? How do I feed myself? while also continuing to offer to your partner the gift of your vulnerability without that needy. And we all know what that is, right? Because we've all had... Without being nagging or... Right, like we've all had that kind of nagging energy. And so I almost say, do whatever you need to do to get rid of that nag within yourself. So if that means like go for a run if that like to get that energy out. If that means go take a long solo shower. <laughs> Suddenly there's a lot of marathoners in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like go take a long solo shower, right? We all know what I'm saying. Are you talking about masturbation? I am totally talking I mean, about it's, it's On the table, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like taking a long shower, taking, you know, taking a nap or like, just really nurturing yourself and building that relationship with your own body can really can give you that continued confidence to continue being vulnerable and to continue showing up with your lower desire partner saying, I would really love to be intimate with you tonight. And then period like nothing else, like, no, how can I get you to do this? Or how can I like, no bargaining, no negotiation, just, yeah, no marketing. You don't need to sell it. You just need to fully stand right. And like, stand in that power of, I really want this. And that is very sexy, right? When somebody can fully stand in the truth of their sexual desire without attempting to manipulate or control or or nag or get something that is so sexy and what I'll say to any of those entrepreneurs out there is that well keep that energy then and let that fuel you because it will show up then in all areas of your life that confidence of i am energetic i have all of this to give And it is really beautiful and good.
0: How long is that a tolerable plan without really some significant sexual expression? Because I, I absolutely hear this sense of creative energy and its overlap with sexual energy, but sexual energy is something specific. And I think that the invitation to take that energy and find places for it to land, whether in your professional life, in your personal life, in your own experience of your body is wonderful counsel for a while. But I think over time that may be kind of a chronic dissatisfaction.
1: Yeah, I agree. And what I would say is that um, this does not apply to you know, relationships where there is just no sex. (laughs) In fact, when that begins to happen, I really begin taking a look at the quality of the attachment, right? Which is a bigger conversation around just how connected this couple is. And so, yes, this is more of a short-term strategy that can hopefully reverse a long-term pattern because sometimes the lower desire partner just needs a little bit of space. Some space. yeah They just need some space. They need some space to find their own desire because they haven't had that space. But I, I hear exactly what you're saying. And truth be told, when folks tell me that they haven't had sex in like two years or however long it is, I go, uh,
0: That sounds rough. That sounds really rough. And, and this seems like a helpful moment to note that there is help, right? Like couples therapy, working with a relationship coach, like there's lots of ways to move forward the conversation about I seem to be wanting more sexual interaction than you do. How then shall we proceed? Doesn't have to happen in, in the vacuum of your coupleship, especially if you feel really stuck. So don't despair. Um, help us there. And lots of great books, lots of great materials, lots of great courses. So, stuckness is probably something to be endured for a time. But then, you know, I think most people aren't probably contend to live there forever.
1: Well, and even when I'm, you know, suggesting to this high higher desire partner this, my idea is that it's something different. <laughs> you know, that it's something different than what they've been doing before, which is my guess a bit of nagging. <laughs> yeah. To be like, hey, hey, yeah, it's, been a, it's right. been a bit. It's, yeah. We're on three weeks now, honey. Yeah. And so my, my first suggestion is like, let's just change the dynamic because that's ultimately what, what we want is for the dynamic to change. And then I do want to speak to the lower desire partners, which is to say, let's reframe or reorient or rethink what it means to want sex, right? And to step into the potential experience of your partner, right? And that's just plain old good empathy. (laughs) And to really step into, gosh, how would it feel to be rejected in this really vulnerable way time and time again? You know, and if you are the lower desire partner, there are a number of reasons why that might be number one is stress, right? Just plain and simple stress. Gosh, there are a ton of good books on the subject. One of my favorites kind of recent is uh, by Emily Nagosak. I cannot pronounce her last name. I'm reading it. It's sideways. The book book is called Come As You Are, which is a wonderful title. (laughs) Yes. Come As You Are. And in it, she talks about this idea of like sexual accelerators and sexual breaks. Some people just have very sensitive breaks. (laughs) Like every time you get in a rental car and you're like, whoa, how does this work? Right, right, right. And some people have very sensitive breaks. And so to figure out like how to maybe not step on the brakes so quickly (laughs) and to make it so that you want to approach sex in a different way. And also so that it's pleasurable. I think a lot of people aren't really given permission to even explore pleasure. And that's a really big issue that I see among lower desire folks. And
0: I think, you know, my entrepreneurial community can kind of go either way with this. Sometimes they are the creative firing on all cylinders, like let's go, 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 jump in bed, have a great time. And also can be the person who is holding a million things in their mind is stressed about revenue, about that new hire, like, and is just holding within their body and within their mind, a lot of really important content. And as you're identifying stress is pretty antithetical to the sexual response, right. To our sexual experience, which requires us to be willing to let go, to feel in, to be vulnerable, the tighter wound we are, the more stressed we are, the more difficult getting towards impossible that becomes at a physiological level.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. And so I, I mean, I think of different ways to reduce stress. And a big one is setting boundaries around work in the bedroom. I know, I feel like we've talked about this one before, actually on this podcast. (laughs) I have a rule and it is almost ironclad. And that is that I never work in the bedroom. I will work almost anywhere in the world except the bedroom. And there is a sense of keeping that space Separate, and also just separate for the brain. That the brain then correlates. Okay, this space is for sleeping and intimacy, um, and that's it. You know, so that that way, you know, numbers and projects and clients don't come into the bedroom. <laughs> you are not invited here. <laughs> no, you're not invited here. This is a bounded space, and it needs to be kept separate. And so I think of right. I love the brain, and I think of just. A lot of people don't have good sexual brain triggers. What do you mean by brain trigger? What does that, what does that language mean to you? Like habits, right? So we all have habits and we all like do things in these certain ways. And what I find for a lot of people is that they don't have like their sexual brain triggers are just off or non-existent. (laughs) they don't have many triggers that say, Oh, now it's sexy time, you know, or now it's, now it's time to connect with my partner sexually. And part of that might be relational. Like the partners might not have good cues, right? If you interview couples, they all have like their different ways of telling their partner, they want sex. They are as wide and as varied as every fingerprint.
0: Just jumping in bed naked versus like leaving the toothpaste in a certain, right. I don't know, maybe not the toothpaste yes. one. That doesn't sound relevant. Well,
1: no, <laughs> but like every couple has their own special signals. I wore my fancy <laughs> boxers to bed tonight. Yes, totally.
0: <laughs> what comes up around if you are the lower desire partner, how to keep saying no, without torpedoing your relationship connection. Right. If you can sort of both own your own truth, which is that, hey, right now I'm not feeling this particular way of connecting, you know, with also being a sensitive counterpart to this person that you love who is having a different experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree that that owning your desire and owning your own experience is a part of intimacy no matter what it is that you're desiring, whether it's desire for no touch or touch, you know? And and that's another part of it too, is that, right? We all come into relationships with different experiences of touch, experiences of what that touch means, different experiences of play. I like to think of sexuality as, you know, one of the ways that adults and grownups get to play you know, and so depending on how well you play just in general is going to affect your sexual expression as well. So yeah, going back to the lower desire partner and just owning what that is, I think that that part, that partner, yeah, can say that in a way that is compassionate, but also (laughs) I really do think that there, there is room to say, okay, like, I understand that you have been kind of making this compromise for me, like you've been not doing this for me. And what would it be like for you to say out of love, you know, okay, I'm going to try something that's maybe not exactly what I want right now. But maybe I'll get into it. (laughs) You know, and I think that that's, That's part of loving well is that we don't always feel like doing something, you know, today, my husband and I both had very different plans about how Sunday was going to go. And part of his plan for today was cleaning out the garage. (laughs) That wasn't on your agenda. (laughs) That was not on my agenda for today. And so I helped him move like some really big things that needed, needed help moving. And was that something I per se like desired to do, not necessarily, but I do love him, and I value what he needs, thinks, and feels, and so I'm going to step into that and and create desire, and that's where it gets tricky though, because especially with sexuality
0: right there's a part of me that's like, you know, we want to be so careful about saying to. If we go with a stereotype, the woman who has lower desire, like, well, your man need, you know, like keep your man happy, yes, or keep your right? Man happy. Even like in same-sex relationships, there's often differential desire. And so the the balance between honoring what your partner needs and wants and showing up for the garage clean out or showing up for the sexual activity when you're like, hey, this wouldn't be my first choice, and also being sensitive to your own. Truth, right? In your own, like, reality of what you need for the day, for the night, for the sexual encounter.
1: Yeah. And I, I do. I want to be very careful because I know that for a lot of people who have maybe lower desire, part of that might be a history of trauma. And so I really want to be very careful to say, Be sure you're working with a good trauma therapist (laughs) Um, if that is indeed in your history. And if that is indeed the cause of the lower desire, I think that working with a good trauma therapist is really, really important in that regard and really unpacking the differences between the trauma response and what's happening in the current present moment. And so I want to be careful not to say, Oh yeah, just like have sex. If you don't feel like it, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that in relationships, there's always a complex interplay of your needs, my needs, your desires, my desires, and we're pretty regularly negotiating how to be all of myself in the context of a relationship, you know? And I think the more, I love the word differentiated, we become the more we can learn to honor our partner's needs without feeling like it takes away from us.
0: And the, and it's a dance, right? Like it's a dance. I've watched a lot of science fiction movies because of who my partner is. And I know more about comics than I ever thought I would. See, yes. But so has he attended lots of like circus shows and, you know, like it's this sort of give and take. And in the, in the give and take, there's delight. You're right. Delight in joining your other, your person where they are
1: mm-hmm.
0: as separate as it may be from you, as other as it may be from you. Um, and there's delight in watching them come toward you. And sort of explore the world in in your terms or from your perspective, which I is I think where we circle back to that sense of empathy. Yeah. I feel like every time I end up talking about sex and relationships, it's it's very much a both and, right? Both advocate for yourself and what you need and be patient with where your partner is. Both be patient with whatever mismatch might be happening and be willing to sort of assertively explore help if you feel stuck and uncomfortable. So for those of you who like linear, clear answers, I'm sorry, we can't provide any, but this is a multivariate problem, which requires (laughs) multivariate solutions. And it's just, it's a delightful and amazing part of relationships. Um, and
1: also a place where lots of us get tangled. Yeah, and sexuality. I mean, I think there's a reason why it's written about in all of the songs and the books and the poems and the paintings and why um, a lot of artistic expression centers around sexuality is because it is more ambiguous. It's not linear. It's a, it can be a bit chaotic, You know, and it requires uh, a different part of maybe being able to let go, which is I think sometimes why it can be so freeing for some people who are so linear, you know, that when they get to express themselves sexually, they get to express a different just human experience that they don't otherwise get to experience. Kind of the fullness of who they are. Yeah, the fullness of who they are. Yeah.
0: And I feel like there's so much to say about this conversation. I know that maybe it's a multi-part one, but I feel like the the heart of this for me, and I'll let you of course have the last word, but the heart of this for me is moving beyond the shame of what we believe should be and being able to just openly say, this is where I am, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I think I'm wanting. And to create a kind of relationship with our most important intimate partner that has space for that, where that can be spoken and held with love and respect, but where we feel safe enough to to own our desire, to explore our desire, and to let our desires
1: be known and spoken aloud. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. And to me, it is such a powerful place of vulnerability. And I think this is why it can be such a pain point because people feel so vulnerable and asking for what they want, sexually speaking, because we are, we're not really taught how to do that. We're not really taught how to do that in our, in our current circumstance. I think that that is changing. I hear, I hear some conversations changing that I'm really encouraged by. There's a whole slew of great sex educators out there that are writing really fantastic books. And so that is all out there for us in a way that wasn't there even 20 years ago, And so I'm really excited by that. And I think the more that we just normalize these conversations and remove the shame and say, yes, this is, this is a part of the human experience. And I would love to share this really special experience with you as my partner. And what a gift to be able to share and receive. Well, we are so
0: glad that you are part of the Zen Founder team and that you work with so many couples who have an entrepreneur in the mix. And it's really a gift the way that you really help people dive into themselves in ways that can really bring forward the the fullness of who they wish to be and what they have to offer to their partner. So thanks for engaging the conversation. What are you doing
1: for Valentine's Day? You know what? What? we've got kids on that day. It's like Mondays are our kid day. So we might celebrate it on the 15th. So I'm not sure what we're going to do yet. (laughs) We don't have, we don't have plans yet, but you can be assured they will be fun. <laughs> be
0: I already something. know one of them,
1: probably. <laughs> well, I mean, Is it related to this conversation? It might be related <laughs> to this conversation. So that's just kind of standard. That's always on the list. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Thanks so much, Brooke. And for folks
0: who are listening to this and who are maybe curious about working with Brooke or having any kind of this kind of deeper dive into their relationship health and definitely connect with us on the ZenFounder website or on any of our social media channels. And we would love to chat with you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out ZenFounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast.